You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Good morning, Vine Church. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I realize that some of you probably don't know who I am, so let me just introduce myself. I am uh, Casey Johnson. I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer City Church. I'm also on the board of directors for Madison Multiply, which is our church planning network that we're hoping to see uh, many more churches planted throughout the Madison area uh, in the future as well. And um, it is my pleasure and honor to be with you guys this morning. And I've probably preached at the Vine Church maybe 20 times before, but this is a first for me. This is the first time I've ever preached to you in your pajamas. Um, and I know what you're thinking. How do you know I'm in my pajamas? Well, I look out at the weather. It's raining. Uh, there would be no better place to be than to be cuddled up, doing church at home with a blanket over top, cup of coffee in hand. That sounds delightful. But as delightful as that seems, and you're probably enjoying today, I'm really excited for you guys to meet outdoors next week, and hopefully you will not have weather like you have this morning. So today we're finishing up our summer series on prayer, and I've loved this series for multiple reasons. One, um, I think it's very timely to focus on prayer with everything that's happening in our culture. Um, there is just so much going on that, that what a, a great and timely time to, to uh, focus on prayer. And I've loved that we've combined churches for this. I think it not only gives pastors a break. If you don't know this about pastor's work, when fall hits, we run just super fast until after the holidays. It's just a really busy time. So to be able to step back and to take a little bit of break at the end of summer before we get back into full swing with school and everything else is just really good for us pastors. And I have loved that we've just shared our churches together. I've loved that I've been able to come into the other two churches that I don't often get a chance to see because I'm at Redeemer City, and I've loved that your pastors have come to Redeemer City to preach and to be with us as well. So hopefully this is something that we can continue to do as a network with Madison Multiply. I know that we have our annual worship nights and our men's and women's conferences, so hopefully we can have a summer series that we can be with each other as well. So this morning we're finishing out this series in a very fitting place, and we're looking at a kingdom prayer. Um, we're praying for God to send out workers into his harvest. So read Matthew 9, 35 through 38 with me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. God, we just pray this morning that, that your word would open our hearts and our minds. God, we need your word to speak to us, not because of a time like this, but because of the world that we live in and because of who we are. God, may your scriptures 
just change our hearts this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's begin with the end of the passage, and that's the call to pray. Look at verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus instructs his followers to pray earnestly. What does it mean to pray earnestly? He doesn't just say, just pray. He says, pray earnestly. Earnestly means consistent, persistent. It's not just casually mentioning something in prayer one time. It's a focus on a certain prayer. I'm sure that we've all had times in our lives where we've had a a season where we have earnestly prayed for something, but I would bet that it was in a season where it was just a desperation prayer. Like you were at the end of the rope, you were in a corner, you had nowhere else to turn, you knew that you couldn't do it out of your own power, and you're just, just heaving up these prayers to God, just begging and pleading for help. I'm sure we've all been there. I, I know that there's been times in my life where I've been on my hands and knees in my home, just pounding the floor and pulling the carpet, just begging for God to show up because I needed his help and I couldn't do it on my own. That is earnest prayer. Jesus calls his followers to focused, consistent, persistent, intense, and even urgent prayer for the matter at hand. And what's the matter at hand? It's that the fields are ripe and ready for the harvest, but the laborers are few. There's not enough workers. So he says in verse 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There might be a tendency to hold this verse on its own, but it begins with therefore. And you know that every time you get to a therefore in the Bible, you got to ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore? So if you back up to the verses before this, we see what kind of workers that we are to pray for. In verses 35 through 37, we see threefold, to to pray for the workers to lead others to the shepherd, to pray for workers to have compassion like the shepherd has compassion for us, pray for workers to go into the harvest, and then finally we're going to end with one that is often missed that I'll just reveal at the end. But it begins with a prayer for workers to lead others to the shepherd. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Our example of what a worker should look like is is Jesus. And we see, see Jesus going out into all of the cities and he's proclaiming the gospel and he's healing every disease and every affliction. He's casting hope into a hopeless generation. Jesus brings good news of this new kingdom. Just pause there for a second. What do you think about when you hear the word kingdom? If you're a kid and you're, you're listening at home today, what do you think about when you hear the word kingdom? I know for my kids, they, they think of magic kingdom. That's probably the only kingdom that they know exists. But if you're an adult or older in your school years, you probably know that like a kingdom is where a king reigns. And you probably think of a a castle and then the end of his boundaries is, is where his rule is. That is that king's kingdom. Since we know God created everything in one sense, we could say that God's kingdom is everywhere. 
But what this kingdom is referring to is a messianic kingdom. This was a kingdom that was going to be established when the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, would have come and he would establish his kingdom forever. This promised Messiah is the one that Israel had long awaited for. And now Jesus is going through all the villages and he's proclaiming good news, the kingdom is here. You know, for our current climate that is so divided and broken, a new kingdom sounds pretty good right about now, doesn't it? Especially one with a, a good king, a good and kind ruler. But why would this be good news for the people of Israel? Well, first of all, they had long awaited the promised king. Long awaited the promised king. Then second, under Roman rule, Israel was no longer the same nation as they once were. And then third, the leaders of Israel were not good leaders. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, this word sheep occurs more than 500 times in the Bible. And uh, a lot of times uh, it is referring to Israel or the church as a metaphor. And no matter how cute and cuddly you think sheep is, sheep are, sheep are, um, being called a sheep is, is not a compliment. Sheep are, are rather dumb animals, and they're, they're pretty helpless on their own. Just, let me give you a couple examples. Sheep are followers. Sheep will follow whoever leads them, even if it leads them off a cliff. I heard this uh, story of a farmer that uh, when he let his, his sheep out of the barn, he tied a rope in front of the barn door so that the first sheep would jump over top of the rope. And then he cut the rope after the first few sheep jumped, and every sheep that came after it would still jump over this imaginary rope. Why? Because sheep are followers. Whatever they see the sheep doing in front of them, whatever they see the leader doing, they will, will follow it even if it's to their own death. Sheep are followers. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them. Sheep are also defenseless, which is why they need a shepherd to carry weapons. A shepherd would often have to, to fight off uh, predators from eating the sheep. They, they didn't have a lot of defense mechanisms. The only thing they could do is, is run or sometimes just be paralyzed and fall to the ground in, in fright. Sheep needed a shepherd to, pred, to fight off predators. Sheep are skittish. If one of them hears a noise and is startled, they might bolt off, which will cause, cause all the other sheep to bolt. And, and oftentimes they would just run into danger. They would run towards the predators or they would run away from where the food was, away from the shepherd, off of cliffs. There are reports that a whole like 500 a flock of sheep have just run off a cliff because whoever led them, they would just follow them to their own death. Sheep need a shepherd to help them relax. Sheep even struggle to get back on their own feet. If they fall into a hole or fall down, sometimes they will roll onto their back and just flail with their legs in the air like a cockroach, and they have a hard time getting back on their feet again, and they need a shepherd to come along and help them back to their feet, or they could die. You know, when we understand just how much like sheep we are, we understand our need for a shepherd. When we understand how much like sheep we are, we understand our need for a shepherd. 
But this is why Israel needed a shepherd. Israel is often called sheep, and God himself was their shepherd, but they often rebelled and wandered off. So God provided prophets and kings to lead them back to him, but they often rejected those leaders too. And now there's no true king or prophet in Israel anymore. The kings were Roman-appointed pawns at the time when Jesus was speaking, and the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, scribes, were just in it for their own glory, which is why Jesus often got into arguments for them, because they were not there for the people. They were not good shepherds. They were in it for their own glory and their own fame. Just look back at the arguments that Jesus got into with them. None of these leaders were leading with others in mind, especially for the afflicted. But Jesus, he looks and sees the people are distressed with no one to help. Jesus sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you've been on Facebook lately. I'm sure you have because you're uh, American, right? Um, But I'm getting to the point where I despise Facebook uh, because nobody knows how to argue or disagree or be different anymore. And every time I end up just logging off, I I just feel discouraged. Um, I've, I've even seen over the last month where people are celebrating the deaths of somebody that they disagree with. Really? We have a culture that doesn't know how to disagree. We, we lack empathy. We lack love. We, we lack compassion. What divides us seems bigger than what should unite us. However, I think there's one really good um, uh, use for social media, and that it gives us a crystal clear picture that our culture is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And there's the need. We have people who are hurting. Their leaders have failed them. Their idols have failed them. They are lost, and they need workers to come alongside them and point them to the good shepherd, the good leader. Sheep are not smart animals, but there is one way they are extraordinary, and that is that they recognize the voice of their shepherd. Think about that for a second. Sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. If somebody's calling out, if it's not their shepherd, they, they will not pay attention, but they know the voice of their shepherd. So it's pretty simple for us. Workers go out into the harvest to help the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Workers point lost sheep to the good shepherd, to Jesus. We see Jesus leading differently because Jesus is a shepherd who actually cares for his sheep. Look at verse 36 again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has compassion for them. For the crowds, he has compassion on them because um, he's not self-seeking. His heart broke for those whom were hurting. He had compassion for the crowds. B.B. Warfield, who was a professor of theology at Princeton back when Princeton was actually a respected theological university back in uh, 1800s, early 1900s, And B.B. Warfield said, The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy, and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of benevolence that it is summed up in the memory of his followers as going through the land doing good, 
is no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to Jesus. Warfield says that the emotion that is most um, attributed to Jesus is compassion. The verse Warfield quotes here is Acts 10.38, and where Peter summarizes Jesus' ministry, and he says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. That's a summary verse for the disciples who have just spent three years watching Jesus every move, like spending almost every waking hour with him. And the summary of his ministry was that he went about doing good and healed all who were oppressed. Jesus' mission was a mission of compassion. New Testament scholar R.T. France said, Jesus' response is described by the strongly emotional Greek verb, Splanchnosomia, which speaks of a warm, compassionate response to need. But no single English term does justice to it. Compassion, pity, sympathy, and fellow feeling all only convey a part of it. So we've got no single English word that can actually convey what this uh, Greek verb was for compassion. There's four other times where Matthew uses the same verb for compassion. Let me read these verses, and when I read them, I want you to just pay close attention and to look at the connection that these four verses have together. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 15:32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. 1827, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. 2034, and Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Did you catch the connection there? You know, years ago, I was trained to lead a, a study by Paul Miller called The Person of Jesus, and what we would do is we would go through the Gospels and watch any interaction that Jesus has with other people, and we would uh, take like a whiteboard and draw out comparisons and do illustrations. Um, but one of the main things that we learned from this is that uh, Jesus was a compassionate leader. And when Jesus had compassion, it wasn't just that he felt empathy for somebody. No, it was always that Jesus saw, Jesus felt compassion, and then he was moved to action. It was always that. He, he saw, he felt, and then he was moved. Compassion is both sympathy for a person's need and an action to meet that need. It's not just empathy. It's not just pity. Compassion sees, feels, and moves. Compassion is an action. When I preached a sermon at Redeemer City a few weeks ago, we had a couple of members that came up with a new word for this. Actually, it's not a new word. It's just a new definition. And the word is compaction, which is compassion and action. So we need to call Webster and see if they can put that definition in their dictionary. But compassion is an action. Compassion does something to meet that need of the oppressed and the afflicted. And when Jesus sees the crowds are harassed and helpless, he is moved to compassion. You know, perhaps 
now more than ever, we need compassionate workers who see needs and move to meet those needs. And we need to pray for these workers to be sent into the harvest. Have you seen that around you? Have you seen the just desperate needs and, and the cry out of people that they just need people who are compassionate, who aren't going to run them over to just come alongside them and lift them up and point them to the shepherd and show them compassion? And then lastly, we are to pray for workers to go into the harvest. We see at the beginning of this that Jesus goes into every town and village, and likewise for this new kingdom, we need workers who will go. And this is a massive understatement because at this point in Scripture, the only one that was talking about the kingdom and bringing people into the kingdom is Jesus. He is a one-man show. But in the next chapter, we see Jesus send out the twelve. And then later in his ministry, we see Jesus sending out 72. And then before he ascends, he gives the great commission. If this world is going to be reached with the good news of the kingdom, we need workers who are willing to go to the ends of the earth like the great commission calls us to. But we also need workers who will go where God has currently placed them. Do you know that when Jesus gives the great commission and tells us to go to the the ends of the earth, in Acts 1, that he's actually the ends of the earth. He's in Jerusalem and everything going out to that. We are at the ends of the earth right now, and there's, there's something about the culture of Madison that just shows that we are at the ends of the earth. Madison is yet to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, so we need workers to go into Madison. We need workers to go. Madison needs to know Jesus as the good shepherd, the south side of Madison, the the southwest side of Madison, the east side of Madison, and many other places in Madison that our churches don't reach. What this means for us, if we are a people who are sent, if, if we're to be workers to go out into the harvest, if if Jesus is entrusting us with his ministry of compassion and, and good news, that we can't be people that just go to work and just keep to ourselves. We can't be people that get home and we just pull into the garage and then we lock all our doors and shut, shut the garage door and then we don't go out. We, we have to be people who are present with our neighbors, especially in a time like this when, when people are, are hurting and afraid. We have to be people that go. We are to be a sent people. That's the call that the 12 get here. And yet what I find fascinating is the immediate appeal is not for them to get busy. It's not to pull up their bootstraps. It's not to get to work. It's to pray. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd who is harassed and helpless, and yet his instruction to the 12 is to pray. It really shows the importance of prayer in our mission, doesn't it? So we've seen so far that we are to pray for workers, workers to go into his harvest, workers to have compassion like Jesus does, and workers to lead people to God's kingdom. And finally, the worker that is often missed. What is the next thing that happens after Jesus tells his 12 to earnestly pray 
for the God of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. Well, if you flip to the next chapter, you will see that Jesus sends out the 12. Jesus sends them out. The very ones whom Jesus had instructed to pray for workers, he immediately sends. So in other words, they prayed for workers, but they were really praying for themselves. And they probably didn't even know that they were, but they were. Jesus tells them to pray for workers, and then they instantly become the workers, and he sends them out. I've um, really learned to appreciate Eugene Peterson. The older I get as a pastor, the more I I like him. I didn't like him as a younger pastor because I liked new ideas, and um, Eugene Peterson was often against new ideas and liked to focus on the fundamentals of Scripture. And the the more and more I I read Eugene Peterson, the more and more I, I love and appreciate him. But he says in the message, the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called the 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out evil spirits and to tenderly care for his bruised and hurt lives. I want to encourage us all to pray this prayer. But when you pray this prayer, you need to anticipate and expect that God is going to send you out into the harvest. Now, I'm not telling you that in advance so you say, well, then I better not pray it because I don't want to be the one who's sent, right? Let's pray that prayer with an expectation that we will be the ones who are sent, that we will go into his harvest and bring people back to the good shepherd again. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus sees the afflicted. He had compassion for them, and he's willing to do anything to rescue them, even lay down his own life for them. And he loves these sheep so much that once he ascends into heaven, he sends us to them. He sends his people, his followers, and he equips and commissions us for the harvest. So let's pray that God would send workers. Let's pray earnestly that he would send workers into his harvest. And the second thing I want to pray for is let's pray earnestly for more churches to be planted in the city. Shouldn't be a surprise that we're a church planning network. That is really what um, we circle around in our relationship between these three churches, is we want to see many more churches planted within the city of Madison and and beyond. Um, We are not going to see Madison transformed unless we have more um, churches throughout the city and and around the greater Madison area that, that we can't reach as churches. We need churches um, more on the west side, more on the south side, more on the east side. We also need churches in Middleton and the north side of Madison, Wanakee, Sun Prairie, McFarland, Stoughton, Verona. There are so many more areas that just need churches that will send more workers into the harvest. You know, a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Ben from Eastside preached at Redeemer City, he gave a challenge to Redeemer City. And he said, let's see who is the next church to plant a church. So we're, we're taking that on. It's not like we haven't been trying. We've been trying to plant a church pretty much since day one. Um, 
But the challenge is, is who's going to be the next one? And I know the Vine, you guys have done a great job of planting churches. You planted Redeemer City, you planted Eastside. You guys are doing a great job. And I hope that you plant many more churches. But here's a challenge for you. Will you pray for your daughter churches that they might give you grandbabies? I know that's kind of weird. But will you pray for the churches that you have planted that they might plant more churches? Because when that happens, that begins a church planning movement. If you spend any time in the city of Madison, you, need, you know that we need a lot more gospel-centered churches. We need city groups throughout this city so that more people can be exposed, that more workers can be sent to hear this good news of the kingdom, to hear that there is a king, a good shepherd who loves and has compassion for his sheep. We need more churches so that more people can be sent. Why don't we go to God in prayer right now and ask him to do just that? Let's pray. God, we, we pray that prayer to you right now, Lord. We pray that more workers would be sent into your harvest. We recognize that we can't do this on our own. This isn't just pulling up our own bootstraps and getting to work. That, that Holy Spirit, that you change people's hearts, that you motivate people's hearts to be able to be bold for the gospel. And God, we pray for you to act in that kind of way. And we know that because there is a harvest, it's not because of anything that we have done. It's because you have prepared people's hearts. And you have sheep that are not yet in your pen. So I just pray that you would send us, that we'd be workers who would go into your harvest and just point people back to the Good Shepherd again. And God, we do pray for church planting in this city, Lord. Um, Bring us the right people to plant churches. I do pray for the three churches that we already have, that you would keep us healthy, that you would keep us on the mission that you have called us to, but we would always have our eyes on planting more churches, that we would never become inward with, with programs and, and what's happening inside of our own buildings, but we'd always think about the unreached people of this city. So God, move us to plant more churches. Help Madison multiply. Help these three churches come together so that even in five years, we might double the numbers of churches we have in this city. So God, bring us pastors and planters and help us to raise up men and women to be on these teams to be able to go to these other parts of the city that need the gospel. God, we ask you to show up in that area and we ask that you would help us to be faithful in whatever you call us into. God, we thank you so much for this partnership. We thank you for this series on prayer. May we be a people who fall to our knees as the first thing that we do. That's our first response to fear, to pain, to the unknown, that we might be a people who pray. We lift this all up into you because you are good and we know you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.